Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Oswald Chambers, an author and evangelist, uh, wrote this and said this at uh, one point. He said, sanctification is not my idea of what I want God to do for me. Sanctification is God's idea of what he wants to do for me. I like this quote because it's true. It reminds us that God is at work in us, and it reminds us that God leads and we follow. Sanctification is the process of God's spiritual growth and maturity in us. Sanctification is the process by which God transforms us in the likeness of his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. God has saved us and set us apart by his grace through our faith in Jesus. And God is at work in us, making us holy and more like Jesus day by day. Paul wrote in Philippians 1 and verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The good work God has started in us is salvation. The good work God is continuing to carry on in us is sanctification. Paul was sure of this. He was confident in this because Paul knew this personally. God saved Paul and God was at work in Paul, making him holy and more like Jesus day by day. Paul affirmed this and said in Philippians 2 and 13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God's purpose for us is good. God's work in us is good because God is good. Sanctification is God's good work in us. Sanctification is God's good work in you and in me. So let's look at three quick points about God's sanctifying work in us. Number one, sanctification is a blessing. God saved us, God loves us, and God is changing us. We are recipients of God's amazing, rescuing, saving grace. It's a blessing to know God's at work in us. It's a blessing to know God will not give up on us. It's a blessing to know the best is yet to come for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a blessing for you and for me. Second, sanctification is exciting. God never changes, but we are always changing. Someone once said, the only person who likes change is a wet baby. Well, that may be true in some respects, but I can tell you this. We can embrace and enjoy God's change in us because it's best for us. And sanctification is exciting. Leaning on God, looking to God, learning from God, living through God, loving for God is exciting for you and for me. This sanctifying work, God's change work is happening in you and me today, right here, right now in these moments. It's a blessing for us. It's exciting to us. But we also know the third point is sanctification is challenging. I think we could all say amen to this point. Sanctification is challenging. This work of becoming more like Christ is challenging. Sanctification is challenging from within and from 
without. Now, real quick, three challengers to sanctification, three challengers to God's work of sanctification in your life and my life. And I can assure you, you're going to recognize these three challengers right off the bat. The first is the world. Life isn't fair. Things don't go the way we want or plan. We all know this. The reason for this is because we live in a fallen world broken by sin. The scriptures defines world as the beliefs, the messages, the thoughts, the philosophies, and actions of those who are living in rebellion against God and in opposition to God. John told us, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust and desires is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. John said, we are of God and the whole world is under the sway, the influence of Satan, the evil one, the ruler of this world. The world and the people in the world do not always do what we want or plan. They don't always work the way we want or plan. As followers of Jesus, we can rejoice this morning because Jesus told us, take heart, be of good cheer, be courageous. I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. Praise God. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Amen. Praise God. Greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. One of the challengers to your sanctification, one of the challengers to God's work in your life in these very moments this morning, right here and right now, God changing you to make you more like Christ Jesus is the world. A second is the flesh. Second challenger is the flesh. We don't always do what we want because we're a mess. Though we are saved by God's grace, we still struggle and wrestle and battle with this flesh that still dwells inside of us. We are prone to turn away from God in sin against God. Jesus reminded us in the Gospels when he told his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh, my flesh, that, this flesh that, that still dwells in me that is in that wrestling match inside of me is weak. Your flesh is weak. The apostle Paul understood this. He said in Romans chapter seven, the things I do want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? He understood this internal battle, this internal struggle between the flesh and the spirit. As followers of Jesus, we can rejoice because we know God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We are the recipients of God's forgiving, rescuing, delivering, saving grace in Jesus, which enables and empowers us to live in love for Jesus, to live in love like Jesus day by day.
And so within this sanctifying work that God is working in your life and my life, he is at work in us in these moments. We know that there's some challengers today and every day. It's the world. It's the flesh. The third challenger to our sanctification is Satan. God is at work in us. Satan, our enemy, is at work on us. Satan is a liar, the father of lies. He hates us, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. Satan can only lie to us, and then he has to hope that we will believe and follow his lies rather than believing and following God's truth. Satan wants to undo, listen now, Satan wants to undo everything that God is doing in us, for us, through us, and around us. He wants to undo it all. He does not want us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He does not want us to go and make disciples of all nations. He does not want us to walk in obedience to the truth of God's word. He does not want the Holy Spirit of God to take the inspired word of God to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness so that you and I will be complete, equipped for every good work. He doesn't want us to reap God's blessings. He doesn't want us to enjoy God's blessings. He doesn't want us to share God's blessings with those God places around us. This battle is fought in our minds. This battle of spiritual warfare is fought in our minds. As we shared last Sunday, our thought life is directly connected to the abundant life, the blessed life, the changed life we have in Jesus. The battlefield is in our minds. When we think God's way, we will feel, act, and speak God's way. When we think Satan's way, we will feel, act, and speak Satan's way. This is why the psalmist said, I will meditate on your precepts, Lord, and I will think about your ways. That's why Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's why Paul said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, is anything morally excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things, dwell on these things. It's why Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Think about God in all your ways. Acknowledge God in all your ways. That means think about God in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. We understand, as followers of Jesus, we can rejoice this morning, every day, throughout the day, because we fight from victory, not for victory, because we have already won the victory in Jesus Christ. And so we know we are victors and overcomers and more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. We know no weapon formed against us will prosper. We know if God is for us, no one or nothing can be against us. We understand and know that we have help, we have healing, and we have hope in Jesus today and every day. And so we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Today on Sunday, as we start our week in God's house, but then as we continue the week, moving forward to our mission fields, we know God's at work in us. This sanctification process is happening in us. And it's good for you and it's good for me. And it's good for all those God is placing around us. And so I want you now to open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. In our new series that we're continuing uh, this morning, we started last Sunday, we're continuing this morning, we're laying the foundation for this series titled Think Well, Live Well. God is going to teach us about how we can get out of our own way so that we can go His way through the example of our Old Testament friend, Moses. 
Now, God is going to remind us of these principles I just mentioned before, the sanctifying work of God, and these challengers throughout this series, throughout our study, because these are truths that we need to grab onto each day, each week, as we continue growing in our faith in Christ. We'll see them at play in the story of Moses. Remember, as we start, God wants us to live what we learn from his word. We're going to talk about this on a weekly basis throughout. We do that a lot around here. God wants us to live what we learn from his word. As James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We do what God says. We do what his word says as we rely on God and walk in his power, not ours. As we rely on God and walk in his wisdom, not ours. He leads we follow. And so what God is going to do now, we need to acknowledge and understand God's transforming work in our lives. God's purpose in us is to make each one of us more like Jesus. And so what we know then today is this study, this passage, this example of our Old Testament friend Moses, this series, all that we're going to share this morning and all that we're going to continue to share and learn as we make our way through this series is going to be used by God. It's been ordained by God. It's been planned by God. It's been designed by God specifically for you and for me. And it will be part of God's transforming work in our lives. We will become more like Christ as we listen to this word, as the Holy Spirit teaches us this word, and then as we live what we learn from this word in his strength for his glory. So this is a blessing, and it's exciting for you and for me. It's also going to be challenging because we know at every point as we get into this word, the enemy is going to be bombarding our minds with his lies and distractions to keep us away from what God has for us. And I can't wait to see what all God has for us in this passage, in this study. So let's get to it. Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed a child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Can you imagine this scene? Put yourself in this scene. Unbelievable. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child, and there he was, a little boy crying. She felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, then his sister, whose sister? His sister. Whose sister? Moses. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child her own child, and nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. Are you kidding me? So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. 
She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Amazing. Incredible story about what is going on here in our Old Testament friend, Moses. Let's look at a few points that we know about Moses from this passage from the context of Scripture that will help us and guide us as we make our way through this series. First point is Moses was a Jew. Moses was a Hebrew. He was from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe in Israel. We know the Levite man who married the Levite woman. A man uh, from the family of Levi married a Levite woman in chapter 2 and verse 1 was Amram and Jochebed, Moses' parents. We know, as we will find out here later, as we study this one particular episode in the life of Moses, that Moses had an older brother by three years named Aaron, who we'll get to know as we focus in on this one particular episode in the life of Moses. We also know Moses had a, a sister named Miriam. So we know a little bit about the background of Moses. We also know, second point, is Moses' parents were faithful to God. Amram and Jochebed were faithful to God. The parents of Moses made it into God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith, much like all the many different hall of fames we have today from athletic and entertainment perspectives. There's a hall of faith, if you will, in the scriptures, and that's chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And we find the parents of Moses in the hall of faith. They were faithful to God. They believed God, and they trusted in God, and they followed God by faith. They didn't fear and follow King Pharaoh's edict. They feared and followed God. And we read about them in this short synopsis in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, by faith Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents, Amram and Jochebed, for three months. We already matched up Exodus chapter 2 to this because they saw that the child was beautiful. So as all parents look at their child, they think their child's beautiful. And so Moses was a beautiful child. And they didn't fear the king's edict. They didn't fear the king's edict. We're going to talk more about the king's edict uh, next week as we dive deeper into this passage. But we know, what we know is that Moses' parents, they were faithful to God. Now, there's a lot in this verse in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 and verse 23. I just want to hone in and just take a, a quick commercial break and uh, share with you just this word of encouragement. If you were blessed to have godly parents like Moses, then rejoice. 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 Rejoice every day. 
rejoice all through the day. Matter of fact, if you were blessed to have godly parents like Moses and your parents or parent is still living, thank them. Encourage them. Show your gratitude to them over and over and over again. What a blessing for Moses. What a blessing for others who have God, godly parents. But let me just also say to you, if you are not blessed to have godly parents like Moses, remember, 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 God is your perfect, heavenly, holy, good, good Father. He loves you. You are loved by him passionately. You are loved by him personally. You are loved by him permanently. He's at work in your life. He has placed his spirit in you. He is at work in your life. He is guiding and directing and encouraging you. And he is the one leading you. And he is the one who will help you day by day to live out the truth of his word. Third, if you did or if you didn't have godly parents growing up, be godly parents. Be godly parents. You see, God has placed his spirit in us as followers of Jesus. He's placed his word before us, and he is the one who will help us to live out the truth of this word. He's the one who's transforming us, and he's the one in his transforming work who will help us to be godly parents because that's his desire for us. His desire is for us to teach and to uh, train our children in the nurture and admonition of the truth of the word of God. So don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't get frustrated. Don't focus on what whether you did or didn't have that in the past or the mistakes you've made in the past. No, I want to encourage you, be godly parents. Start today. It's never too late. Start today. Continue from this point forward. Trust God. Walk in his word. Trust in his transforming work in your life. Beg God to help you guide and direct your children, your sons, your daughters, so that they can have that upbringing. Whatever age they are, pour into them. And if you're a grandparent, get after it. Get after it. The beauty of being grandparents is we can make up for any and all mistakes by just absolutely spoiling rotten those little grandkids. Be godly parents. We see this beautiful picture unfolding. And it's so encouraging for us today, no matter our background, no matter how difficult or painful or challenging it may have been, no matter the status of the relationship that you had with your parent or parents, or the relationship you didn't have with your parent or parents, you've got a good, good father. And he loves you. He's at work in you. He wants what, be what is best for you. And he'll do the work in and through you as you turn to him and rely on him. Now let's look again at a quick background. I'm going to do a, a summary of the background to Exodus chapter 2 so that we can know how we got to the point next to chapter 2 because we need to know this because as we move forward from Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 3 and 4, that's going to help us uh, to understand where God's taking us uh, through this series. And so let me give you the quick background to Exodus 2 and I'm going to take us back to the book of Genesis uh, and we meet 
this guy named Joseph in the book of Genesis, and Joseph was the second youngest of uh, the sons of his father, Jacob, and uh, Joseph uh, was a, a pretty phenomenal guy from uh, all uh, the truth we see from the Word of God. Joseph, in particular, at this one point in time, when, when he was young, he had uh, a dream, and uh, in this dream, uh, his brothers and his family was bowing down to him. And kind of a different dream, kind of an unusual dream, uh, and probably kind of a dream that wouldn't go over well uh, in, in a family situation. And so Joseph went ahead and told his family and told his brothers in particular about the dream. And the brothers didn't like it at all. Matter of fact, the brothers didn't like Joseph before. Now they really didn't like Joseph. And they knew, in part, because they knew and understood Joseph was their father's favorite son. And so they really hated Joseph. And so at a point in time, Joseph was out with them in the fields, and uh, the brothers got together as they saw Joseph approaching them to check on them, and they got together and said, hey, here he is. He's coming. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. And uh, they thought better of that plan. They grabbed a hold of him. They threw him in a cistern, and then uh, instead of killing him, they decided that they would go ahead and just sell him because there was a traveling band of Midianite traders coming by, and so they sold Joseph to the Midianite traders and the Midianite traders took Joseph with them. And then they went back to their dad, Jacob, and they, they told their dad that, that Joseph had died, that he had been uh, devoured and being, he had been killed by an animal. And so that he was, they told him he was dead. Well, the Midianite traders went ahead and traveled on down to Egypt. And they got to Egypt with Joseph. And when they got to Egypt, they didn't need Joseph. And so they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an Egyptian official, the captain of the guards. Joseph was now in Egypt alone by himself, without family, without friends, young and all alone. God was with Joseph and God blessed Joseph. A couple of years later, Joseph is in prison because of the whole situation with Miss Potiphar. And y'all know what happened with Miss Potiphar. And Joseph's sitting in prison and uh, old King Pharaoh has a dream. And no one can interpret the king's dream. And things aren't going well because no one can interpret the king's dream. God was with Joseph. God blessed Joseph. And God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dream. Joseph told Pharaoh the interpretation of his dream. Joseph told Pharaoh, listen, God has given me the interpretation of your dream, the God that I serve, and here's the dream. There's going to be a severe famine that will come to Egypt. There's going to be seven good years of abundance, and then after the seven good years of abundance on the land of Egypt, there's going to be seven years of severe famine, and it's going to literally wipe out the land of Egypt. It's going to be bad, real bad. And God is warning you. And Pharaoh was so pleased with Joseph, he was so blown away that Joseph interpreted the dream that Pharaoh said, hey, guess what? I'm promoting you from the prison to the palace. Joseph, you are now second in charge. I am putting everyone in my kingdom under your authority. The only person that is above or beyond you, Joseph, is me. Everyone else will be under your authority and your command. Just get us ready. And Joseph put together the plan. And Joseph stored up food and stored up grain during the seven years of abundance. And sure enough, after the seven years of abundance, the famine came and it was severe and it wiped out the land in Egypt and beyond. But Egypt made it through the famine because Joseph had prepared Egypt. The folks were able to eat. The citizens of Egypt were able to eat. All Pharaoh kept saying was just go see Joseph. Go see Joseph. Don't come to me. Go see Joseph. And so Egypt made it through. 
People from other lands came to Joseph in Egypt to buy food and to beg for help because the famine had destroyed their land. And so back to the story back home in Canaan, Jacob, Joseph's dad, says to his sons, hey guys, you need to go down to Egypt and buy some food because we don't have any food. So these brothers go to Egypt to buy food. And after a series of events and time that passes, Joseph immediately recognized his brothers. They didn't recognize him. And after a series of events, Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers and they freaked out. That's in the Hebrew. It doesn't exactly say that. That's the English translation. But they were terrified. They couldn't believe it. They freaked out. They then had to go back home and tell dad. Um, that story we told you, guess what, dad? Uh, Joseph's alive. And yeah, he's in charge of Egypt. Dad comes. Joseph brings every one of his brothers, their families, his dad, everyone, his family. And he relocates and moves them to Egypt. Pharaoh was overjoyed because of his love and appreciation for Joseph. He said, absolutely, we'll give him land. We'll give him food. We'll give him whatever they need. Your family, my family, bring them, all of them. We'll take care of them. And so we see that Joseph's family thrived there in Egypt. As Joseph told his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The saving of many lives, which is exactly what happened during the famine. It's exactly what happened and why God brought good out of that very, very bad situation and horrible actions of the brothers. We look at Exodus chapter 1. Look with me at Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family. Reuben, Simeon, and these are Joseph's brothers. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Jacob is Joseph's dad. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died, but the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. So get the picture. Egypt was filled with not only Egyptians, but Egypt was filled with Israelites. Lots and lots and lots of Israelites. Verse 8. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Verse 8 is the key to understanding God's plan for Moses. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. So the third point we see now that we have this background, the third point we see was that Joseph was a man of faith. But we also know not only was Joseph a man of faith as he brought basically Israel to Egypt, and we're going to see Moses transition Israel out of Egypt. We also know Moses was a man of faith. Moses 
is also in God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, it's important to note, Moses didn't get into the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 because of his parents' faith. Moses got into the chapter 11, the hall of faith in Hebrews because of his faith in God. Like one Bible scholar said, in relating Moses to his parents, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. And so we see in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Moses trusted God. Moses believed in God. Moses had faith in God. Moses demonstrated his faith in God by his obedience to God. And we're going to see that play out as we make our way through this passage. The fourth point we see is that Moses was an excellent leader. Moses was an excellent leader. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, we come to the end of the life and ministry of Moses. Now we're going to hone in on a particular episode at the beginning of Moses' ministry, but we come to Deuteronomy chapter 34, and we're now at the end of his long life and ministry. And in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy in verse 10, here's what we read. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. We're going to look at this episode of his life. And for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Israel never had another leader like Moses. Now understand, what made Moses great was God, not Moses. What made Moses great was God, not Moses. Moses' faith in God was empowered by God, which allowed Moses to do great things for God. Our faith in God is empowered by God to allow us to do great things for God today and this week. God's work in Moses was meant and designed to point people to God, not Moses. Know this. God's work in Moses was meant and designed to point people to God, not Moses. We therefore understand and know God's work in us is always meant and designed to point people to God, not us. As the Apostle Paul said, I watered Apollos, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Therefore, neither he who plants or waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We are the witnesses that God wants us to shine the light of Christ so that others are drawn to God. They see Christ through us. They're drawn to God by the way in which we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we see that God's work in Moses, just like his work in our lives, is designed to point others to him, not us. So as we look at this passage this morning, what is our application? What can we take away as we continue moving forward in this study of Moses? What is our application today? I I want us to just look at three quick points. Number one, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Moses was not always an excellent leader. We're going to find out and we're going to learn that Moses was reluctant to obey God. Moses was resistant to God's plan for his life. Moses struggled with his thoughts about himself, about God, about 
God's plan for his life, about his circumstances, about other people. We're going to find out that Moses didn't always think, feel, and act the way God wanted him to think, feel, and act. In this particular episode that we're going to study, Moses was actually more concerned about what others might say to him than he was with what God had said to him. He was more concerned about others than he was about God. Yet God patiently grew and developed Moses into an excellent leader. And this is encouraging to you and to me because we're like Moses at times. We don't always think, feel, and act the way God wants us to think, feel, and act. There are times when we are reluctant to obey God. There are times when we are resistant to follow God's plan for our lives. There's times when we struggle with our thoughts about ourselves, about God, about God's plan for our life, about our circumstances, about other people. There are times in our lives where we are more concerned with what others think about us than we are about what God thinks about us. We're more concerned with what others might say to us than we are with what God has said to us. And it's so encouraging for us to know and understand, like Moses, God is at work in you and me, pointing back to that sanctifying work we talked about. God is at work in us, and he is patiently growing and developing our faith and trust in him. And as we learn from Moses, we're going to be encouraged by Moses not to make the same mistakes as Moses. We are always better off learning from the mistakes of others so we don't make them ourselves. And so we can be encouraged this morning. Second, be focused. God taught Moses again and again, over and over, stay focused on me, Moses. Look to me. We'll pick up and see this starting next week. Look to me. We need to stay focused on God today. You need this. I need this. Because of that whole battle, those challengers that we're dealing with on a day-by-day basis, those three challengers, we need to stay focused on God. That's why the author of Hebrews encouraged us, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, if we don't focus in on the Lord, we will grow weary and we will lose heart. If we don't focus on the Lord, we will give in to those challengers. If we don't focus on the Lord, we'll miss out on all that the Lord is doing in us, through us, and around us. And we understand this principle. We understand that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. We understand that we're to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. We understand this, that if we claim to live in him, we must walk as Jesus walked. We understand that our attitude is to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And yet we forget this principle a lot. I forget this principle a lot. And I'm encouraged in the scriptures, by the example of Moses in the Old Testament, I'm encouraged in the scriptures by the example of the New Testament, I think of, of Peter. As Peter fixed his eyes on Jesus, he literally walked on water. The moment he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink into trouble. The moment we take our eyes off Jesus, is the moment we begin to sink into trouble. We begin to think 
ways that God doesn't want us to think. And then we begin to feel ways that God doesn't want us to feel. And we begin to speak and do things that God doesn't want us to speak and to do. Act ways that that God doesn't want us to act. The truth is we desperately need the delivering, the forgiving, the loving, the rescuing, the saving, the all-sufficient grace of our Savior Jesus. Thankfully, we have the all-sufficient grace of God in our relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And therefore, as we focus on Jesus, we're able to walk by faith, not fear. As we focus on Jesus, we're able to walk in victory, not defeat. As we focus on Jesus, we're able to walk in peace and not stress. Be encouraged, be focused, and then be ready. The third point is be ready, be ready. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we know this. Scripture tells us this over and over again. We know that we know that we know that God is at work in us. God is at work in me. Say that with me out loud. God is at work in me. Say it again. God is at work in me. We know this. God is at work in each one of us. He's growing us in our faith in Jesus. He's making us more like Jesus. He's blessing us. And he's using us to be a blessing to those around us. God's at work in your life and he's at work in my life. Our part is to be ready. Our part is to be ready to join God in his work in our lives. When God says bless, we bless. When God says confront, we confront. When God says challenge, we challenge. When God says comfort, we comfort. When God says encourage, we encourage. When God says give, we give. When God says help, we help. When God says love, we love. When God says minister, we minister. When God says pray, we pray. When God says serve, we serve. When God says carry one another's burdens, we carry one another's burdens. We must be ready. God's at work in us. He is at work. As Jesus said, my father's work and I too am always at work. God is always at work in us. He's at work in you. He's at work in me right here, right now in these very moments. And what he desires for us is to be encouraged by him, to be focused on him and to be ready to join him in his work. Not only in our lives, but in the lives of those he places around us. And for us this morning, that means the context of our family because we're one big family. And he wants us to join him in his work in our midst right here and right now. We stay ready. We stay ready as we focus on the Lord, as we look to the Lord, as we depend on the Lord, as we walk in obedience to the Lord by his power at work in us. So God's at work in you and he's at work in me in these moments. He's speaking to us by his spirit in us in these moments. He's encouraging us. He's getting us focused because he wants us to be ready now to join him in his work in one another's lives. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in this time of response. And I want to encourage us to respond in obedience to the Lord. Listen, if God's saying pray, go pray with a brother or sister in Christ. If God's saying bless, go bless a brother or sister in Christ. If God's saying encourage, go encourage a brother or sister in Christ. 
If God's saying just go and give him a handshake, give him a handshake. If God's working and moving and speaking to you as it relates to a brother or sister in Christ that you know is going through a challenging time in this room, then go and minister to them. Join God in his work. Be a blessing. Minister to them. For some, God may be saying just to rejoice in Jesus. And we're going to do that here in just a few moments as we stand to worship the Father. We rejoice in Him. That's how we join God in this work. We are able to rejoice in Him. At other times, we just need to to run to Him. The altar is open as always is. Maybe what God is calling you and me to do individually is just to run to Him. To renew our commitment to Him. To renew our devotion to Him. To recognize He's at work in us. And to renew our desire to join Him in His work in us. To confess the sin that He is convicting us of and to return and our commitment and devotion surrender to him listen if you're here this morning you don't trust Jesus Christ then, then maybe what God's calling you to do is receive his gift of salvation once and for all by turning from living your way confessing your sin to God repenting of those sins and turn to God and surrender to God confess your sin to God and and just Receive God's gift of salvation by placing your faith in Jesus. Jesus took your place on the cross. He paid your price for sin. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. He is alive and the only way to a relationship with the Father is through faith in the Son, Jesus. Our ministers will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you. We are all ministers for Christ as followers of Christ. And so this is our opportunity to now move and work and to join God and his work, his sanctifying work in our lives by responding in obedience to him in his strength for his glory. Let's stand and say yes to the Father this morning.